right, here we go. You guys, I know, are loving this series we're in. You get to see all these images of traffic and transportation. Uh, it's very exciting, I know. Um, well, hello and good morning once again. If, if you just joined us, you just flipped on the online or just walked in, uh, my name is Wayne. I'm the pastor here at Downtown Community and uh, very thankful to be with you today and to be engaging week two of this series. Um, and so we're talking about guardrails. So we see... Uh, transportation guardrails in life, right? So you drive down the road or you take an Uber. Maybe you see them around here. They're, they're more present than you would even realize because you don't really need a guardrail until you really need one. And last week we found out that guardrails exist even on the subway tracks. Um, they're everywhere. And so uh, what are they what are they designed to do? Why are guardrails here? Well, they're two big things. One is they direct you and they protect you. We think mainly about the protection, but they actually give us guidance so well. We know where things are safe and how we can you know, move forward because of these you know, guidelines that we have. I shared an example of someone driving in snow last week, and the only reason they got through that time like insane snow was because there were guardrails showing them where it was safe to drive. It's amazing. They give us direction, and they protect us as well. One interesting thing about guardrails is they're not placed in the actual danger area. So it's not like a guardrail in a cliff. They're actually put in a, in a safe space, a place that would be drivable or walkable wherever that may be. And so that's an important part of that. It's something that maybe you've never realized before. You can go and you can look. It's actually in a drivable area. Um, but, but guardrails are designed to min minimize damage. So if, you know, you hit a guardrail, you're going to take some damage. Like, and that's not fun necessarily, but it's way better. It's minor in comparison, right, to like driving off a cliff, like how awful that would be. And so that's a big thing about guardrails. So we're learning to, 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 to do personal guardrails in our life. And we are learning to put them in place. And so if you do this, if you choose a personal guardrail, you're not going to be celebrated. You'll take some damage. Like, it's going to happen. You won't be celebrated. But you will have fewer regrets. And it's important that we learn to, to see the places in our lives where we need to put boundaries in. Because everything around you is going to push you to the edge and the limits of everything that you can find. It's going to push you to that. And then you're know, going to bait you to the edge, bait you to the edge. And then when you fall off, they'll turn around and mock you. How could you do that? How could you get so drunk? And how did you get this DIY and all, the, all those other things? But everything in your life is pushing you towards pushing you towards drinking you know, excessively. It's pushing you towards gambling. It's saying, be responsible. And we have these blurred lines, like these words that says, do this responsibly. But usually the thing we're doing, the more we do it, the more responsible we feel. <laughs> Whether it's drinking or gambling or, you know, in relationships or, you know, like shows that we watch, you know, everything that we do, we have these blurred lines. And then one day we fall over the edge. We wonder how that happens. So we're learning really to be wise. And in Scripture, we see it. It's calling us over and over again. God is calling us to be intentional, to be intentional. And so establishing a guardrail, what is this? Well, a personal guardrail is something that is a standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. It's a standard behavior. It's something that you do that when at some point something, you, know, you have this behavior action ha happen and it dings your conscience to say, oh, this is a danger area. And so we're learning to engage in this way. And so we're learning to be intentional. And the scripture that we started with that Sylvia shared earlier out of Ephesians 5, it says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, 
but is wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Meaning there are real consequences to our lives if we engage without thinking about it. This is about being intentional with our lives. And while this is certainly true as part of the series, the series is really not about becoming a better you. But it's really learning to surrender your life to the one who gave his life for you so that you can have life. We're learning to trust Christ's words to us, that he is leading us towards life. That these things that we're talking about will impact you directly. And many times the goals that you set and the things that you long to see or when you reflect and wonder why this didn't happen, it's rooted many times in these very things that have to do with our hearts. So last week we introduced this whole series, and I did a really quick recap just now. And over the next several weeks, we want to talk about different areas of our lives, whether it's friendships, which we're going to engage with today, um, relationships, romantic relationships, our finances, and then our heart. And the last week, I think, is one of the most important ones that you'll want to engage with us. So today, as I mentioned, I want to talk specifically about the people that are most influential in our lives, our friendships. Some of you are like, I, I just moved to this area. I don't really have a lot of friends, but your associates, people who are influencing you, maybe people that you follow, people that you respect or admire or you want to be like, the people that influence your life. They have a significant impact on you and influence you in ways that you may not even realize. And so whenever we want to have a boundary in our lives, we always like tend to push back. This is why guardrails are so hard because even if you set your own boundary, you're like, yeah, I just don't want to do that. You set a New Year's resolution or goal and you're like, yeah, maybe not. Like, like we don't like having limits. And this really started for us as teenagers. And you might say maybe a little bit earlier, but it really becomes pronounced, right? I remember uh, when I was in high school, I got a really bad grade. And my, my mom stepped in and was like, yeah, you got to step out and quit the soccer team. And I was like, no, what? How could you do this to me? And like, you know, I think she's being so judgmental of me. And, and I'm like, well, it's because of the way you've led my life that's like you, that, I've, that I did. I didn't have a bad grade. You know, I have a bad, you know, things are going on around me and, and I have all these excuses. But she would step forward. My parents would step forward and say, well, that was good judgment. And I'm like, you're being so judgmental of me. And this is where it all started where we're like, you're so judgmental. You don't need all these different things. But the parent would come in and say, no, I'm exercising good judgment. And it's interesting, as a parent now, I look back on that and say, what would I do if that were my kid now and getting a really bad grade? What kind of decision would I have made? And I would say, well, I would, I'm such a great parent. They never would have had a bad grade, right? Like, like and, and it's, it's really interesting when now I'm in the position of being a father. How do you go about that? What decision would you make? And we struggle with this. We struggle with people who, who put things around us or limits and what we're really struggling with is, is, is the, the being judgmental versus having good judgment. How do you make a decision with someone who influences your life that's negatively impacts them? And they might come to you and say, you are being so judgmental of me. But in real reality, you're putting guardrails in place and you're ex exercising good judgment. There is a difference. Being judgmental is when I draw a critical or a harsh conclusion about you and then expect you to act 
or be different. Exercising good judgment, rather, is about me and what I can control and my reactions. I'm drawing conclusions about myself. When we exercise good judgment, we're drawing conclusions about ourselves based on emotion. No, based on wisdom. How do you do that? How do you make wise choices? One of the great questions you can say is, well, in light of my past experiences, what I've prone to do or do in the past, in light on everything that's going on right now in my life, my present circumstances, and what I long to see happen in the future, what's, what's the best decision for me to make right now? Urgency calls us in times of decisions. And it's so important for us to learn to engage a better question of, is, it not, is, is this right or wrong, but is this wise? It calls us to a higher standard, to be intentional. And it's hard when you have pressure around you. It's one of the hardest things that you will do, especially when it's a decision that will create tension, cause someone to be upset or angry or mock you. Those are some of the hardest decisions that you have to do in your life. How do you be wise and make a decision? That's really a guardrail moment where you're going to take a ding for saying no or not doing something or not engaging with others in some kind of way. And so we have to learn how important this is. And it's important for you and I to really understand how powerful influences from others are. I mean, the science is behind this. It's amazing. If you look at the science, just in research of your heart, you can find these studies where they've, they study people like, that are engaging with, like in a concert setting. Like they've monitored their hearts, they've monitored their pulse rates and other things, and they, they find that they, they actually come together in unison there's one that I found that they, they analyzed a performance in the West End in London, and they, they did 12 audience members and found that as well as their emotional responses, the audience members' hearts were also responding in unison. Their pulses would speed up and slow down at the same rate, at the same rate. And this has been found in, in different settings as well when they've researched this. So your heart, we do this, we, we, like others around us, we influence. So this is possibly happening right now. You're like, my pulse is really low right now, just so you know, okay. <laughs> but this happens with your brain. Like there's this uh, neuroscientist at a Northwestern University named Moran, Moran Cerf. And he's been, he studies decision making. He's been doing it for years and years. And he discovered that when two people are in each other's company, their brain waves will begin to look nearly identical. And the more that you look into this, the more we are learning that just being next to others aligns our hearts and brains together. Isn't that so heartwarming right now? We're all just kind of getting all together. You don't even know each other, right? That's really fun. It's interesting. He talks about, he says, if people want to maximize their happiness and minimize their stress, he says they should look to build a life that requires fewer decisions by surrounding themselves with people who embody the traits they prefer. He says, over time, they'll naturally pick up on those desirable attributes and behaviors. It's interesting. Well, 3,000 years before he did this study and wrote all that, Solomon, in the scriptures, put it this way. He says, walk with the wise and become wise. Solomon is known as one of the wisest people that's ever lived. And whether you're a follower of God or not, if you read the book of Proverbs, you'll, it's very impactful for your life. 
is a very influential person in history. He says, walk with the wise and become wise. Wisdom is contagious. It rubs off. If you are living life with those who are wise, like you'll, you'll, you'll want to be like that. I, I'm amazed. Like For me, the older I've become, I'm not that old yet, but like the more I realize how much I don't know and the more I seek out knowledge, the more I'm seeking out wisdom to hear from others. And then, I, then I'm around wiser people and I'm, and I'm seeking out like their instruction or, or reading about them, all the different things. And what I've found when I'm around them personally that, you know, these, in my mind, these are the people that know the most. Like, I'm getting stuff from them. What I found is they actually um, are the ones that are seeking out wisdom more than anybody else. That their lives are usually, almost always marked by, by understanding that they don't know it all and they are seeking wisdom out from them. That's amazing. Walk with the wise and become Wise. Today's decisions are connected to tomorrow's outcomes. You need to look beyond the urgent. And then he continues with this. And the next phrase is this, for a companion of fools suffers harm. A companion of fools suffers harm. So a fool, who's a fool? A fool is someone who knows what's right, but does, doesn't care. Like, does, does whatever they want anyway. It's, they're careless. So someone who's naive is someone who doesn't really know like this is stupid and they do it and they're like, whoa, how did this happen? Like, you know, you're like, where did this come from? And a fool's like, yeah, I'm, I don't care. I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> and they're careless. And what's fascinating, it doesn't say a companion of, of fools becomes a fool. It's actually worse. The outcome is way worse than that. It says they suffer harm. It brings destruction and pain into your life. And so the issue really with both is proximity. It's about proximity. As they go, you go. Solomon's like, I didn't need a whole research for this. I see this. I understand this. So if you've got friends or associates or people that you follow and they're careless with their lives, they will be careless with your life. You want to look to the heart of what they are doing and their actions. It's not separate. It will influence you in a great way. And so the hardest part for you and I in making these principled decisions is that it will, it will go at some point against the natural flow and the normal actions of those that are around you. And that's hard to do because it's way easier to judge from the sidelines, right? This is why we got internet trolls. It's just so easy. You know, any decision that's made, that we can just say, well, this is wrong. Like, so this week, you know, some of you probably know about this, but like, like the Giants organization, the, the football, New York football Giants NFL team, uh, they fired their coach. I don't know if you knew that or not. And so like, but there's all this chatter for those that pay attention. Some of you are like, this is the dumbest thing ever. But anyway, but for those of us that pay attention, like leading up to this, like they got to fire him and they got to do this and all these, like the team has been doing bad. So just so you know, really bad. And so everybody's got their opinion, right, of why this happened and everybody's blaming one person or the other. And it's just so easy to say, well, this should have been done this way and this should have been done this way. And so you fire somebody in the past, well, they shouldn't have done that. And so you hear a lot of explanations and we always are able to give one side or the other in any kind of decision. That's why it's so hard to be a leader in our world today because you make a decision and then everybody falls on either side of whatever it is. It's very hard especially when people would hide. And so how do you engage a world like this? 
Well, I want us to point us to this passage in Scripture where Jesus is speaking. He's engaging. And this is a fascinating passage. This is found in Matthew 11. Matthew 11. And so I just want to give a little bit of context to this because Jesus begins to talk about himself and he talks about a guy named John the Baptist. And John was called John the Baptist because he baptized a lot of people. And so uh, before Christ came, John was doing a lot of speaking and teaching, but he did it in the wilderness. And people would go out to him and he dressed a little weird. He ate weird things, but like people were drawn to him. And like people went, would, you know, would travel a day just to get out to him. And it wasn't an easy journey. And it says that all the people from the city were coming. And we assume there's a little bit of a hyperbole, but it, it helped to emphasize that it was a tremendous amount of people coming to hear his teaching. He was very influential and God was using him. It was obvious that God's hand was upon him. And so you have this guy named John the Baptist and Jesus. So I'm going to read through this passage one time and then kind of bring context of what in the world is Jesus talking about and what is he saying. And so he says here, he says, he says, to what can I compare this generation? It is like children playing a game in the public square. They complain to their friends. We played wedding songs and you didn't dance. So we played funeral songs and you didn't mourn. He says, for John didn't spend his time eating and drinking he says, and then you say, well, he's possessed by a demon. And he says, the son of man, he's referring to himself, on the other hand, feasts and drinks. And you say, he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of the tax collectors and other sinners. And so Jesus makes this statement, and he begins to refer to, to John the Baptist. Well, he says, well, who can I compare this generation? And what he's talking about are all these critiques, the trolls of his time, essentially, about him and others. And so who are, the, who are the people critiquing? Well, it was the religious leaders of the time. And, and, if, you've, and if you've read through the Gospels at all, and, and you, was, you, you see that there's a group of these ultra-religious people, and they are put in a position of power. And they lorded this power over the others. They were put in a religious position to uphold rules and the law, and they would just hold it over the people, and they actually didn't really love God. They didn't actually really love these principles that God had put in place for them to, to, to enjoy Him, and they didn't love others as well. They didn't love the people they were put in place to lead and to serve. And Jesus confronted that, and they hated it. He showed them how selfish they were, and He wasn't afraid to say what needed to be said. They were ultimately selfish. They didn't care about others. They cared about themselves. And so he points out in two places where God was obviously at work through people. And one was John the Baptist. So we, really there's two kind of things happening here that I want us to see and point out that's so important. And one is like the theological, historical things that Jesus is talking about. But then the other is the cultural pressure and how Jesus lived his life. And it's so informative for us. And he goes on to make a statement that we'll get to in just a second. So he refers to John. He's like, listen, he says, John is, he's like, you critique John. He, he didn't spend his time eating and drinking. And you're like, he's possessed by a demon. He's weird. He eats locusts and he, he dresses with animal skins, right? And so they're trying to find everything to discredit what's going on. And Jesus is like, it is obvious. And in the teaching before this, that's everything that Jesus said. He says, it is obvious 
that, God, that John was the fulfillment of the prophecy that there was another Elijah to come. And there's Elijah in the Old Testament, and there's a pro- prophecy about a future Elijah, Elijah type of Elijah to come that would say that the Messiah is coming. And John was clearly it. He's like, you ignored him. And then Jesus comes along as the Messiah. He is performing miracles in front of them. And they ignore it. They discredit it. Why? Because their hearts were so turned to themselves that he threatened who they were. They didn't care about or love others or actually love God, that they were actually searching for him. They were only caring about their power and what they could get out of it. And so that's what Jesus says. He says, he condemns it. because you guys are like a bunch of little kids singing these children's songs. And they're like, we play these wedding songs. It's celebration songs. And you didn't dance. We did funeral songs. You didn't mourn. And I love this. Because the, the funeral songs represented John the Baptist, who were call, who's calling the people to repentance. People came out and he would baptize them in the will. And it was this, this sign of, I'm repenting. I'm coming back to God. And so that's what that represented. And then the wedding songs, the celebration songs of dance represented Christ. And I love this because like, he's like, and the Son of Man comes feasting, eating and drinking. And Jesus, and just a picture of God, he's here. He's like, God is here. The Messiah is here. Let's celebrate in this feast. So Jesus would feast and eat with them. And there's other places where, where they would accuse him of this. And they're like, why aren't you fasting? Why aren't you mourning? And like some of these other te- you know, followers did, and other teachers. And he's like, well, he says, there'd be a time for that in the future. But right now, the Messiah is here. God has come. God is with us. Let's throw a party and celebrate. That's your God. Jesus came and loved to celebrate. I love it. Just a little sidebar there. The picture of him is that celebration. And so Jesus had the authority to say these things. And, and like he was born there. As you know, if you, you know, if you celebrate Christmas, we talk about Jesus' birth as a baby. He's born of a virgin. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was untainted by sin and grew up. But he didn't start his ministry until he was 30 years old. He was living life with him. He was in the culture. And he was old enough to be able to be a teacher and be respectful enough to be a person in authority and to teach. And these others around them did not like this. They were after him for the things that he said and the way that he lived his life and the decisions that he made. And that is the big thing to look at. In this passage, is that they would critique the decisions that he made. It's hard to make a principal decision for us when we take a hit, when people talk about you, or you don't have as much as somebody else does, or a family member says, Why would you do that? or you say no to things, and you can't hang out with someone or you don't take a job, or you don't get a promotion because you make a principal decision. How in the world do you do that? And this shows us why we need Christ. It shows us why we need Him, because we need an identity that is beyond the things that are around us. 
Because when our identity is in our stuff, when our identity is in our career, and these things are all great things or good things that we need and pursue that God calls us to, when our identity is in even children or, or proving our parents right or whatever, all these things go up and down. And when it doesn't happen, our world crashes around us. When we make a decision that's hard to do, we're devastated. That's why we need our identity in Christ, the one who is always approving us and, who, and so who's that's the stable foundation for us to live to stand upon. When it comes to making these types of decisions, it is one of the hardest guardrails to have. And so Jesus confronts them on this, and then he says this statement, and I love this. It says, but wisdom, but wisdom is shown right by its results. Wisdom is shown right by its results. Wisdom is proved over time. And it's an amazing statement that Jesus makes. It's like God dropping the mic. He's like, he's like, yep, you wait and see. Time will tell. And it reminds me of the Ephesians passage we read earlier. It says, be careful then how you live because the days are evil. There are consequences, real consequences to the lives that we live. And if we're not careful, culture around us is pushing us to the edge of everything. And other people ha have the ability to, to live and do things that are beyond the boundaries that you have. And you're just prone to different things, destructive habits, behaviors that others aren't prone towards. Except we have a, you know, a conglomerate of people around us that can live like that. And you can't do that in all things. And you will be pushed to the edge. And then they will mock you when you fall. And you will live in such regret. And you're like, how did I get there? It's hard to say no to things that are going on around you and I. It's one of the hardest guardrails to put in your life. Friendship guardrails are one of the hardest to apply to your life. And this is something for us to recognize and to see. It is the balance between the urgency of decisions in the moment and the pressure of things around you versus what's important for your life, meaning wise decisions. And if you begin to do this in this area of your life, you will be talked about. You will, you will take a hit. You will miss out on some life. There's something that you're not going to be able to see or to watch or whatever it may be. You're like, did you see this? No, I didn't, I didn't go. Like, like, you'll have FOMO. Like, fear missing out. FOMO is real. Like, you're going to experience that if you decide to put a guardrail in this area of your life. It's going to happen. I've shared this story in the past, and I don't think Aaron minds it too much, my wife Aaron. But, you know, I remember in, in, for moms, this is a very interesting thing. You take your kids to the playground, and, and there's mom talk going on, and you're discussing with friends, and there'll just be all this conversations about everything going on in the neighborhood, all the, all the moms, what they're doing. And there'll be conversations of things that they would say that she would just not engage in. And by the way, if you're around someone and they are talking about someone else behind their back to you, that person will also talk about you behind your back to someone else. Just so you know, the actions and the behaviors of those going on, like that's what's going to happen. And she would, have, she would take a hit to be like, yeah, let's 
can we talk about something else? Or I don't want to. I don't want to say. And she had to. She would force her to eventually to say a statement like that, and she would be ridiculed. And they would go and talk about her behind her back. I mean, everybody does this. Not just moms. I'm not pointing at moms. Okay, but I'm just giving you a specific example. All the moms are going to go attack me when the service is over. But they would, you know, she knew that they're going to go. I was like, can you believe that? And like, that's happening. You're like, man, I'm not, this is why I'm not ever becoming a parent. Like, it's like high school. Everything's like high school, just so you know, right? Like, it happens in office politics, everything else. But here's what was amazing that we observed happen over time. And this was hard for her. And we'd talk about it. And you feel that. You feel that pressure of being shunned, being mocked, being talked about. Like, our brain and our hearts, we, we long for approval. It's It's significant. And many times it's from people that we, we don't even know that, law, that well or that long. But we would watch, and over time, something would happen in one of their, pers- in their lives personally. It was really difficult. It's like a, it could be a miscarriage or a family member is sick or somebody made a bad decision and it's hurting them and, and they really, really, really need to talk about it. This is something you can't just go and tell everybody and share. You don't want this information getting out. But they really need to talk to someone. And who would they go to? They would go to her. And they'd be like, well, so there's a pretty good chance that she wouldn't share this. And they would share this hard information with her. When you're in a moment of crisis, you need someone to trust, and that was Bill. Wisdom is proved over time. Wisdom is shown right by its results. Listen, we don't get it right. We don't live our lives perfectly. We're not like, like we, we mess that up as well because it's hard. But those interactions always struck me, and it was interesting to watch them engage in life in that way. They actually never ended the friendships. They needed a friend like that. Like I said last week, you want the most influential and the significant people in your life to have guardrails. You wished your father growing up, your mother growing up had guardrails. You need me. You want me to have a guardrail. And the same is true of us. Time will tell. To have a guardrail in this area means you will have to be patient. Maybe in two or three weeks, they're like, wow, how did you know not to just, how did you stay out of this decision? How did you know, like, people might say that, but maybe it's years. If you're a parent with children, it might take 10, 15 years to see the results of hard decisions. It's hard. It influences decisions you make to raise your kids, where you say no, where you make good judgment over and over again. Decisions you make when you're out with your friends. What you choose to do with the free time that you have. How much money that you make. What you do with your money. How much car you buy. How much phone that you buy. How much debt you take on. What you do to you know, go into debt. What you wear. What you post on social media. Who you follow. How much you compromise yourself for the approval of others. And it just goes on and on. We look to the urgent. We look to the urgent. We need to learn to make wise decisions. We need to look at the influences in our life. 
and learn where we say okay and where we say no. And so this is the challenge. And this is why we talk about this. Friendship guardrails eventually mean saying no to someone and making a different decision. You will hurt someone or they will hurt you. You need to seek wisdom out. So how do we do this? How do we put personal guardrails in our lives? Well, some of this is you, you're just, you've got to do the work. But here are three things that I want to quickly walk through and then we'll be done here. One is you need saving just to bring us back to Christ and his words. There's a reason he came. You need a force greater than you to drive your decisions. At the, at the heart of all of this is that we are all broken. We need a savior. You need the Holy Spirit to be in your life who can speak those words and be your conscience and lead you to something. It shows us we have a deeper issue. God in you, his Holy Spirit in you, would be the greatest conscience that you will ever have. You and I need his grace and his kindness. What we run from is that image of the Pharisees, the, those that just lord all these rules over us. And that's what we think God is like. And Jesus came to say, no, I am kind. He says his kindness is what leads us to repentance. We need his grace. You need a king who goes out dancing, celebrating with you. That's the first thing. The second one is to seek wisdom. It's what we've really been talking about today, right? This is not going to magically happen. Seeking wisdom means time. <laughs> you need time to make this a part of your life. You need community. And that's why many of you are here. That's why many of you have been engaging church this year over this. As soon as we started doing meetings and persons again, many, like a lot of us are here today because of this. You understand this, but you need people who are wise. We have dinner groups. Their dinner groups will be kicking off back again very soon. And we'd love for you to be part of that. We meet weekly together. We're meeting in person to do this. You need people in your lives that can help you, influence you in this kind of way. Whether you follow God or not, you're invited to come and engage with us in community. That's a very real thing. You need friends who will lead you. You need friends who are willing to challenge you. And when you get to those moments, we need to learn to lean in. To say, I need wisdom. I don't have it all together. It's hard to be known. And that's the hardest thing in community is when your brokenness comes forward. And that's why we need people of grace and mercy to say, let's lean into this. But not be afraid to admit that it will eventually happen. But we need to seek wisdom out. It's not easy to know. You've got to risk being known. Maybe that's a step for you this year. Proverbs 13, 20, walk with the wise and become wise. And then number three, we need, we need Christ. We need to seek his wisdom and we need to pay attention. This is for you. Where do you feel danger zones? You need to observe your life. You need to have moments where you stop and think. Shut off the TV. Don't binge watch the next episode. It's, it'll be there, right? Find times to think. Where do you get in trouble? Where are you making your, like, your significant others, others in your life, like, 
record this down. Where do you have regret? When you experience that regret, stop and say, what led me to do that? you got to pay attention. That's going to help you seek out wisdom. You need others. Who is somebody close to you? You can say, what's the area I need a guardrail in? That's a big question. <laughs> but if you trust someone to help you see, you'll have fewer regrets. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much for your intentional pursuit of us in love, grace, and kindness. I pray that you would call us to the beauty, that we would experience that kind of love in our lives. We thank you, Father. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.